All right, several years ago, uh, my wife and I hosted someone who's checking out uh, the community where we live, North Woodmere, for Shabbos. And uh, they, uh, and my wife served a, uh, a, a spinach veal dish as an appetizer. And the person ate it, they said, oh, this is delicious, it's fantastic, uh, so, so wonderful, this meat spinach thing. Um, and through the course of the conversation, later on in the evening, um, it became evident that this person doesn't eat veal, that they hold veal is not, not kosher, and they don't eat veal. And uh, then at some point, the woman asked my wife, "What's the? can you give me the recipe for that, sp- for that spinach meat thing that we had before? I didn't even know what, uh, what veal tasted like. So um, my wife had never heard up until that point of the idea that there are some people that don't eat veal. So what is the issue? So presumably, if at that point she had not known about it, probably many other people also don't know about what is this issue that some people don't eat veal. Mari Varabi Rav Shechter, I believe still at Ayom, does not eat veal. So what's, what, what's, what would such a chumra be based upon? So first of all, a little bit of Matthias. Veal is the meat of a baby cow that is slaughtered at a very, very young age when it's still very soft. And the reason it's so soft is not only because it's a baby, but they feed that cow a special diet from the moment that it's born um, with basar b'chalav mida oraisa. They give it some sort of formula, some sort of powder formula that needs to be mixed with hot water and the powder contains animal fats and it contains milk and it's, uh, therefore, when you cook it together, that is basar b'chalav mida oraisa. And that is all the animal eats from the time they're very young until three days before they shecht it. That is it. That's all the animal is going to eat. The animal eats nothing else. So its entire uh, growth comes from that from the, from from that powder. It should also be noted. Typically speaking, they do not allow these animals to roam freely, lest it develop muscle tone, and then the meat will not be quite as soft. The meat's going to be very soft if you lock it in a little cage so that it can't develop any of its uh, any of its muscles. So that's part of the way that uh, that they farm veal. So the so what does this have to do with halacha? The Gemara in, in the Mishnah Masechus Tzmur and Davlamim says that if you have a kosher animal that nurses from a non-kosher animal, and we know the milk of a non-kosher animal is not kosher, so if you have a kosher animal that nurses from a not-kosher animal, you're not allowed to be makriv, that animal, the, the kosher animal on the Mizbeach, because its entire growth comes from a non-kosher animal. The Gemara says that we're assuming k'shera yankami behema surubana kol yimechayel that it's going to be, uh, that, that it nursed uh, its entire life and it's going to be Asr forever. So the Rambam, the Pirish Mishnai says that since the Mishnah quotes this halacha in the name of Rabbi Hanina ben Antigonus, and even though there's no one that's cholik in the Mishnah, we don't have a sheet of the Chacham that disagrees in the Mishnah, but we don't hold this way to Das Yachad Rabbi Hanina ben Antigonus. That's how the Rambam holds. However, Tosos of there in Daflam and Aleph in says that we do paskan like Rabbi Hanina ben Antigonus, and that this is true not just of Kavbanos, but it's uh, Asr Ba'achila as well, if not only can you not bring such an animal on the Mizbech, but if its entire life, all it ever ate was something that's also then you're not allowed to bring, you're not allowed to eat such, such an animal. The animal itself is not going to be kosher if all it ever ate was Yisurei Hanah. That is Shitas Hatosos. So in Halacha, naturally, how's this going to play out in Halacha? The Rambam's going to pa- the Mechaber is going to pass in, like the Rambam. So the Mechaber paskins, you have no problems over here. This is Das Yachar Rabbi Chanin Ben Antigonus. You have nothing to worry about. The Ramah paskins like Tosfos. The thing is, the Ramah doesn't just paskin like Tosfos. He seems to go a step further than Tosfos. The Ramah writes, Nispat makol yamei chayeha bimaacholos asuros. If all it ever ate were non-kosher foods. 
then the animal itself is not going to be kosher, it's going to be asked to eat. Now that's a step further than Tulsa's why, because what did Tulsa say? If the animal, all the animal ever ate was Yisurei Hana'a, then you're not going to be able to use that animal. The, Ram, the Ramah went a step further. Not only if it all, all it ate was Yisurei Hana'a, if all it ate was non-kosher foods, the animal is going to be asked the Shach rejects the Ramah for that reason. The Shach says, what are you talking about? Tosas never went that far. Tosas only said, if it ate, Yisurei Hana'ah. So according to the Ramah and the Shach, it would seem that if the veal, Taka, eats only Basar B'chalv Midaraisa, or Basar B'chalv Midaraisa, we know it says, Los Vash G'di B'chalev Yimot three times in the Torah, Echel Yisra Achila, right? And Echel Yisra Bishol, and Echel Yisra Hana'ah. So there's an Yisra Hana'ah of Basar B'chalv Midaraisa. So uh, if that's the case, if all it eats is really Basar B'chalv Midaraisa, then both Bein L'Ramah, Bein L'Shach, it should be Asr. The OU uh, was very hesitant many years ago to give Hechshir against the Ramah by a case of a fish pond that would be fed Machol Sasuros. They had this issue. Uh, there was a fish pond, all the fish were fed was Machol Sasuros. It was not fed Yisurayana. Should they give Ashkach or should they not? The Shach holds its mutter, many other Paschim hold its mutter, but the Ramah says it's no good. So uh, so it, that's if you, they, you didn't have Yisurayana. But if you have Yisurayana, the Ramah and the Shach would hold it's a, it's a problem. So many of the companies, I think the Rabbi Ganak worked with some of the uh, veal providers, that they adjusted their system to make it that the cows were only going to be fed basar b'chal midrabanan, which is not asar b'na, it's asar b'chila, not asar b'na, not basar b'chal midaraisa, which would therefore satisfy the shach, but not satisfy the ramah. Um, now, a simple solution to make it basar b'chal midrabanan versus basar b'chal midaraisa might be, instead of taking the powder and pouring boiling water over it, or putting the powder into a, a pot of boiling water, you could uh, take a pot of boiling water, pour it into another pot, and then put the powder in. And that's what we call a kli sheni. And a kli sheni is no mevashel, except for kali abishel, but let's assume the powder is not kali abishel. Kli sheni is no mevashel, then it wouldn't be basar b'chalav midaraisa. That would seem to be a simple solution. I'm not sure exactly what they do. You read the literature on the topic, you don't get an exactly, perfectly clear picture of what they do. Rabbi Bleich has an article about this, and he also he was not clear on exactly what they do. He has an article in uh, the sixth most recent volume of uh, Contemporary Halachic Problems. Unclear whether they do Ira Klirishan, whether they do Klirishan, Klisheni, not 100% clear. There is a major person in the kashrus industry, particularly in the kashrus of meat, known as the Nirbaturav. I think he's a nephew of the Satmaredi or something, or a cousin or something. His name is Rabbi Teitelbaum. The Nirbaturav works closely with the OU, though. Uh, even though he has his own Chasidish Ashkacha, he works very closely with the OU as well. Um, and Nirbaturav suggested several heterim. Number one, it's a zevizagori. That uh, there are other kosher ingredients in there as well. It's not only meat, fats, and chalav. It's also other kosher ingredients that are in the mixture. And therefore, since it's not only the basar b'chalav that's causing the problem, it's a uh, it's also some of the kosher ingredients. Maybe that would make it mutter. Now, even if b'diavad uh, it's kosher, the prima gadim in das simon samach oshei says that you can't create a zevzegarim lechadchila, so that may still be a problem. And it also seems to assume that when the Basar B'chala gives tam into the whole Taroves, and we say Chaticha Nas that the whole Taroves takes on the status of Basar B'chalav, that would only be on a Durabbanon level, which would mean that the Basar, that the mixture would have a din of Basar B'chalav Midurabbanon, not Basar B'chalav Midurabbanon. Fine, so it would not be in Israel now. The second possibility uh, to be made is that the majority opinion is like the Shach, the Prichadash, Kresi Plesi, Tshuvas Pnei Yeshua, Tas Torah, the Marsha, Nishmas Adam, or Chashulchan, they all hold like the Shach, so maybe we could hold like the Shach against the Ramah. 
Third possibility, he suggests, is that the animals are permitted to suckle from their mothers for the first seven to ten days of their lives. So their entire lives haven't been purely from this formula. They did drink a little bit from their own mothers beforehand, which is total heter, and therefore maybe that's enough. That's not the most convincing heter, because the shach understands that when we say that kol it doesn't really have to be all of its life that it needs to the machol sasuros or the yisurei It just means that its primary development came from the machol sasuros, which over here it certainly does. Uh, Rabbi Bleich just has two additional ha'aras. Uh, number one, he says um, that even though he does believe there is enough to be made with over here, after all, you have the shach and you have uh, all the poskim who agree with the shach over here, and you have the possibility of zevizagorim, there is enough, enough grounds to be made He says, you know, we sell things, we market things as glat kosher nowadays. Now, what does glat mean? So, to, really, what glat means is that there are no sirchus on the lungs. But you'll see a fruit store that will say glot farm, you know, or something like that. So there are no circles on the lungs of the peaches or the, the pears that you buy in the, in the fruit store. So what does glot really mean nowadays? So it says that the, the, the common parlance, you know, what, what we normally refer to as glot, is something that never had to be horobachacham. Something that you never needed a, a tamachacham to paskin on because it was so clear that it was kosher. And never required a real psak. So he said, maybe at the very least we shouldn't uh, market veal as glat, because it at least requires a psak, because you're going to paskin against the Ramah, so it's a psak, it at least requires a psak to paskin against the Ramah, so he thought maybe at least we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't market it as, uh, as, as glat. Um, and the second ha'ara that he had is that he, he did research where he found that there has been a kosher formula that has been patented to, uh, to, to, to a kosher feed for veal that has been patented but has not seemed to have been used because of, expensive, because of expense reasons, because of cost reasons. It's apparently much more expensive. But he points out that the Pisgit Shuban Simon Samach Tzivkat and Beis quotes from the Levushi Sarak that if an animal on the last three days of its life prior to the Shechita eats only kosher, then even though the rest of its life, its ichor uh, growth came from non-kosher, it would make it that would be good enough. Last three days of its life, it eats only kosher. So he said, even if they don't want to go through the expense of feeding the veal this kosher formula its entire life, it's not that expensive to use it for three days, for at least three days, just to, to, to add that additional hatter, he thought it should make sense. Again, I don't know what the Matisse is, whether anyone ever took the advice that Rabbi Bleich gave. It seems like very sound advice, uh, and it seems like a worthwhile expense if it's only three days worth of feed. But anyway, that, that was his his advice. There are just two other issues when it comes to veal. Rav Moshe has a tshuva um, that where he discusses veal and he points out that number one tsar may be an issue because Rav Moshe noticed that their legs are so weak that they can barely walk and they must be in tremendous pain. So he thought that it may be an issue of tsar b'lechayim. Isn't tsar b'lechayim not a problem whenever there's a human benefit? So Rav Moshe didn't think there was a human benefit. He didn't see what the great benefit was to treat the animals this way as opposed to just shafting young cows and using that as veal. He didn't see the whiteness of the meat or the special taste of the meat, but uh, it seems that uh, that there really is a very big difference. Whether you judge this as a diff- as, as enough of a benefit or not to warrant the Tsar Balechayim, it does seem that there's a reason they do this. The whiteness of the meat and the taste of the meat, texture of the meat, it is different when they when they treat the animals in this way. So it could be they get around the Tsar Balechayim issue that way just by saying that there's a human benefit. The other problem with Moshe had is that it is clear, according to anybody who's ever been involved in a shock where they shechted veal, that there are many more sirchas on the lungs of, uh, of veal than there is on regular animals because of the mistreatment that the animal has, the way that the animal lives its whole life. So Moshe surmised that if there are many more shailas on the lungs of veal, 
then there must be more shilas of trefus throughout the body of the animal as well. We normally don't check for other trefus because it's a miyachay no matzoi. It's such an uncommon phenomenon to find other trefus that we don't have to bother checking for it. But Moshe surmised that if there are so many trefus on the lungs of the animal, it must be that there are trefus in other parts and maybe we should have to check for those trefus. Rabbi Black just points out that since Moshe wrote that tshuva, people have checked and it turns out that for whatever reason it only affects the lungs. There's no higher incidence of trefus in the rest of the animal other than uh, than the lungs. So it seems that that, that concern of Ramosha seems to be unfounded. So again, there are some people that are machmir like the shita of the Ramah, which is a reasonable thing to be machmir for, the shita of the Ramah, not to eat veal. Many others who are maker like the shita of the Shach, once we've adjusted the formula where it's not possible b'chal raisa, it's only b'chal b'chal rabbanan, and certainly the Shach and many other poskim is uh, ample uh, uh, opinions to be uh, to be maker with, presuming that it's only b'chal b'chal rabbanan that they use to feed the veal. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.